1: Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. Uh, this evening we are uh, broadcasting um Genieless so no happy and vivacious Miss Genie K but um, it's going to be me and the very best producer I have ever had. Very how are you this evening very?
0: I'm good ordered so, ordered a, ordered a I get, Goliath v two hmm? tank earlier
1: so. nice
0: you can't resist the oud.
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, it's it's kind of been an interesting week um, for people who didn't know uh, the World Health Organization said that um, Liberia was it
0: Liberia, is, yeah.
1: Yes, is free of Ebola, finally, and then three more cases popped up. I think this pretty much proves that they are unfit for any freaking purpose they pretend to be acting under.
0: Um, no, no, they are They are completely fit to hold secret meetings where they can kick the press and public out and have big dinners.
1: Um, They are... Completely qualified to do that and to punitively tax the poor. That's these are things that they're very good advocates for. So,
0: well, they're trying um, to tax people, but well,
1: yeah. they are actually.
0: Yeah, governments are not f- completely falling for that one funnily enough. <laughs>
1: yeah, the governments are like, you like well, why want do us we to... give you
0: the tax again? I thought <laughs> we already were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: which they are, and they're doing wonderful things with it, like having amazing shindigs in Russia where they have massive caviar and vodka parties and try to stop vaping. Okay. Totally worthwhile. They just need to go. They are unfit for purpose. Or any purpose they're pretending to have.
0: Well, you know it's bad when even their ex-directors are criticizing them. You know.
1: (laughs) That is really true. Yeah. I agree with that. But uh, yeah, so uh, fun news from the World Health Organization. So um, I guess we can pull this one out of the file of you believe what your government tells you, really? It's official. The NSA did keep its email metadata program after it, quote unquote, ended it in 2011. The New York Times gets a new NSA doc confirming what some had long suspected. Though it was revealed by Edward Snowden in June 2013, the National Security Agency's infamous secret program to domestically collect all Americans' email metadata in bulk technically ended in December 2011, or so we thought. A new document obtained through a lawsuit filed by the New York Times confirms that the program effectively continued under the authority of a different government program, with less scrutiny from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court which is pretty much a joke as far as courts go. The bulk electronic communications metadata program was initially authorized by the government under the Pen Register Tap and Trace Provision, also known as Section 402 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. The Times document, a previously top-secret national security agency inspector general report from January 2007, contains a lot of intelligence jargon, but crucially notes Other authorities can satisfy certain foreign intelligence requirements that the PRTT program was designed to meet. While such a theory had been pushed previously by some national security watchers, including Marcy Wheeler, this administration had yet to be officially confirmed. Wheeler argued that not only do the post-PRTT programs achieve the same goal, but she believed they were in fact more expansive than what was previously allowed. The bulk metadata program, which began in secret under authorization from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court in 2004, allowed the NSA to collect all domestic email metadata, including two from date and time. When this program was revealed by the Snowden leaks in The Guardian, the government said that the PRTT program had been shut down 18 months earlier for operational and resource reasons. It is believed that the FISC imposed a number of restrictions on the PRTT program, according to the Office of the Director of National Intelligence itself. The databases could be queried using an identifier, such as an email address, only when an analyst has a reasonable and credible suspicion that the email address was associated with certain specified foreign terrorist organizations that were the subject of FBI counterterrorism investigations. The basis for that suspicion had to be documented in writing and approved by a limited number of designated approving officials identified in the court's order. Moreover, if an identifier was reasonably believed to be used by a United States person, the NSA's Office of General Counsel would also review the determination to ensure that the suspected association was not based solely on First Amendment protected activities. The PRTT program... Uh, was designed to help the intelligence community intercept and analyze one-ended foreign communications, in other words, people in the U.S. communicating with people outside the U.S. EO-12333, everyone's favorite. The newly public document cites two legal authorities that govern foreign data collection, Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act and the Special Procedures Governing Communications Metadata Analysis. Which sits under Executive Order EO 12333. <clears> 702 largely governs content collection wholly outside the United States. It's what PRISM falls under. Meanwhile, EO 1233, which ex government officials, including Snowden himself, have complained about, is a broad Reagan era authority that allows data collection on Americans even when Americans aren't specifically targeted. Without this executive order, such actions would be forbidden under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act of 1978. You know, 12333 specifically allows the intelligence community to collect, retain, or disseminate information concerning United States persons if that information is obtained in the course of a lawful foreign intelligence, counterintelligence, international narcotics, or international terrorism investigation. According to John Tai, a former State Department official who spoke with Ars Technica in 2012, EO-12333 has the potential to be abused, as it could incidentally collect foreign-held data on Americans. 1233 is used to target foreigners abroad, and collection happens outside the U.S., he told Ars Technica. My complaint is not that they're using it to target Americans. My complaint is that the volume of incidental collection on U.S. persons is unconstitutional. Ty continued... There are networks of servers all over the world, and there have been news stories on Google and Yahoo. The minute data leaves U.S. soil, it can be collected under 12333. That's true not just for Google and Yahoo. That's true for Facebook, Apple iMessages, Skype, Dropbox, and Snapchat. Most likely that data is stored at some point outside the U.S. or transits outside the U.S. Pretty much every significant service that Americans use at some point transits outside the U.S., Hypothetically, under 1233, the NSA could target a single foreigner abroad, and hypothetically, while targeting that single person, they happen to collect every single Gmail and every single Facebook message on the company servers, not just from one person who is the target, but from everyone, then the NSA could keep and use the data from those 3 billion other people. That's called incidental collection. I will not confirm or deny that this is happening, but there is nothing in 12333 to prevent that from happening. So, yeah, if you believe what the government uh, tells you about surveillance programs ending or they're wrapping them up, whether it be your telephony metadata or your email metadata, you're delusional.
0: Well, yeah, um, the one I liked in the last week or so is all the security agencies complaining about Anonymous. Anonymous.
2: <laughs> 'Cause
0: right, so Anonymous has been shutting down all the IS IS yeah. or Daesh, as we're now supposed to call it. Um <laughs> all the Daesh websites, Facebook accounts, Twitter accounts. That's um, what they do though. Which which means the security services can't monitor them, uh and collect information on the terrorists, which they then fail to use to do anything with.
1: Well right, but you know, they can't do that, but here's the thing by shutting them down, they're not radicalising normal people. Yeah. Correct? So, I fail to understand what the problem is. Because it means they can't watch the accounts
0: and do nothing with them. That's what they've been doing. You know, all the... the, It's come out, the stuff in France. They had loads of warnings. But no, no, they just kept watching the Twitter and Facebook (laughs) feeds. Going, oh yeah, look, that guy's doing that now. Shall we do anything? (laughs) No, we'll keep watching.
1: You know here's the thing. I just, I find it very hard to believe. Very hard to believe. Um, it, it's, it stretches credibility to the breaking point. When you actually look at who funnels money to these people and who has trained these people. And you look at the fact that most of these people are mercenaries. They go to who pays them the most money. It's just very hard to believe that we haven't, really looked hard at them as a country and said, you know what? We're going to wipe these fuckers off the face of the earth in a weekend and we could do it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The forces are not that overwhelming. Um, We do this sort of pussy footing around war now that we've never done before in our history. Um, Well, no, I can't say we've never done it before, but the last time we really went to war and decided we were going to grind someone out was in the 1940s we could do it again it really wouldn't be that hard but it's kind of frustrating for me just from a mathematical perspective to look at the numbers we're pouring into these places where we're fighting these radicalized islamists and go you know if you went in with overwhelming forces this would have been shut down in a weekend this would not be a threat things like paris would not have happened um this serves a purpose for someone this is well, why it is allowed to continue
0: the, the current current worrying thing to watch is what the French are up to not the bombing no. fact it's the fact that aircraft carriers going there
1: oh well, yeah but they're trying to build the coalition between the United States and Russia they want to go over there and you know they yeah worry, you yeah know.
0: It's, it's not the planes on the aircraft carrier that worries me it's the foreign Legion sitting on the ship. Because um, they're not known for um, being nice and friendly uh, they, they weren't. They haven't really been used much in urban suppression Like we're doing in Iraq and the like Yeah, that's not what the Foreign Legion does um, they're No, all but yet. I mean
1: No um, Urban suppression and We saw drills like that this summer Mm-hmm People lived in the United States, you saw what urban suppression looked like. Um, I don't think, with people that we've taught guerrilla warfare tactics, that that's going to be an effective way to shut them down. You know what I think would be good, though? Defunding the fuckers. Stop giving them money. Yeah. That might work.
0: Well, that's the other thing Anonymous is apparently working on is uh, destroying links to bank accounts and the like. So, yeah. That could be interesting.
1: You know what? It's
0: not our governments that are doing it. It's just a bunch of hackers, but you know.
1: Well, but that's what that's what hackers do. They see a problem and they try to fix it. Unlike our government who sees a problem and goes, "Oh, look, it's an opportunity." Okay. I'm I'm done ranting because I could really go off. I don't really want to. <laughs> it's it's Thanksgiving week. I've I've had a hell of a week at work. I'm very very tired. I'd like to do a nice, calm show where the blood pressure only gets raised a few times instead of me yelling and shouting.
0: So so don't mention turkeys and cranberry to you, then?
1: You know, I don't... I don't really... I I very rarely eat um, meat anymore. So it really doesn't...
0: It, it's more it doesn't, from, from your work. Uh, I'm I, sure there have been mountains of those items going uh, yeah. through your store.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well... Um, the nice part is, I'm, I'm stuck over in health and beauty. I will tell you, if I have to stock another jar of baby turkey food, I'm gonna cry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't worry. After Thanksgiving, you'll be stocking lots of, you know, stomach remedy stuff.
1: Oh, I, I, I uh, upped what the computer was going to bring in on that stuff, so <laughs> that, <laughs> so that I would have it, <laughs> just because you know. Yeah, all those
0: overindulging people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Very true. Um, so this was this was an interesting story. If you lived in Georgia, I thought. Um, so yeah, Georgia clerical error in data data breach involving six million voters. Two Georgia women have filed class action lawsuits alleging a massive data breach by the Secretary of State Brian Kemp, involving the Social Security numbers and other private information of more than six million voters statewide. The suit, filed Tuesday in Fulton County Superior Court, alleges Kemp's office released the information, including personal identifying information to the media, political parties, and other paying subscribers who legally buy voter information from the state. In response, Kemp's office blamed a clerical error and said Wednesday afternoon that they did not consider it to be a breach of the system. It said 12 organizations, including statewide political parties, news media organizations, and Georgia Gun Owner Magazine, received the file. Our office shares voter registration data every month with news, media, and political parties that have requested it as required by Georgia law, Kemp said in a statement. Due to a clerical error where information was put in the wrong file, 12 recipients received a disk that contained personal identifying information that should not have been included. This violated the policies that I put in place to protect voters' personal information. Well, those policies were fucking fantastic. My office undertook immediate corrective action, including contacting each recipient to retrieve the disk, and I've taken additional administrative action within the agency to deal with the error camps. The suit alleges the unauthorized information released in October in the voter list also involved dates of birth and driver's license numbers. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution independently confirmed the inclusion of personal data in the October file. The AJC did so by accessing the October data disk, looking up information for an AJC staffer, and confirming his social security number and driver's license information was included. The AJC has returned its copy of the disk to the state. It is unclear how the private information came to be included in this file and whether it was an internal error or the fault of an outside contractor. Kemp has not notified a single Georgia citizen that his or her information may have been compromised, the suit said, nor has he notified any consumer reporting agencies about the breach that could compromise the security, confidentiality, or integrity of personal information of each Georgia voter as required under Georgia law, it said. Third parties can legally buy voter lists from the state, but the lists are only supposed to include a voter's name, residential or mailing address, race, gender, registration date, and last voting date. The alleged breach, which Suits said happened internally because of tax lax controls in Kemp's office, would be one of the largest ever by a state. In 2012, a massive data breach reported by South Carolina officials exposed 3.8 million Social Security numbers of the state's residents. At the time, Georgia officials said the state used data encryption and other controls not in place when hackers breached South Carolina's Department of Revenue. Other breaches that are just noteworthy and interesting. Georgia's data breach is one of the largest for a U.S. state. However, the methods of how personal data has been accessed and retrieved can vary by state. Here are some other notable breaches. 2009, hackers broke into a Virginia website used by pharmacists to track prescription drug abuse and access records for about 8.3 million patients. April 2011, Texas accidentally released 3.5 million social security numbers on a publicly accessible state computer server. March 2012, private records for more than 800,000 people in California's Department of Child Support Services were lost in transit. April 2012, Texas Attorney General accidentally released about 6.5 million social security numbers to lawyers challenging a voter ID case. Officials said the information was on encrypted disk and was not publicly released. September 2012, hackers stole electronically filed tax returns for 3.8 million consumers and 657,000 businesses from the state of, from South Carolina's Department of Revenue. January 2013, information for more than 100,000 Florida Department of Juvenile Justice employees and youth offenders was at risk after mobile devices storing that information were taken from a facility. February 2013. The Washington State Court system said up to 160,000 Social Security numbers and 1 million driver's license numbers may have been potentially accessed. November 2013, hackers breached Social Security numbers and banking information for more than 2 million students, staff, and vendors from the Maricopa County, Arizona Community College District. October 2014, the Oregon Employment Department found Social Security numbers of more than 850,000 people who were searching for jobs were compromised.
0: So, you know. Yeah. States, we talk about, they're really good at keeping data safe. Yeah.
1: They Well, you know, and we're required to play by their roles. That's yeah. the worst part. What we're gets we're me about
0: to- this whole Georgia incident, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So they say, oh, they've got this transparency regulation, which means they regularly give this information out to all these places. Right. Why? If these places want the information. Surely... They should be contacting the state and going, we want information on voter name X in such and such a time. Right. They shouldn't just release the whole lot. That's just stupid.
1: Well, it's stupid, and you know what it is? It's laziness. Yeah. That's the whole thing. The government is lazy, and that's because nobody's on their back telling them they're fucking up.
0: Cause yeah, 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 they don't do that in Europe. <laughs> no. You know, I know if you want don't. information on somebody You have to ask for the information on somebody It doesn't yeah. automatically get sent out to news organizations
1: Well, I mean, I think it's ridiculous You know, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit The, the ethics of of actually reporting the news Because there is ethics involved in this Is there? Um, yes, we have ethics So as far as I'm concerned, we report the news every week and there's has, ethics involved in that. I'm not talking about anybody else. Murdoch? Well, I'm not talking about anybody else because fuck <laughs> them. You know, a human cartoon has more ethics than Rupert Murdoch. You no. Know, oh, let's let's just let's see if we can access all these smartphones. Let's try the password. Password. Yeah. I think people forget, you know, um, and we talked about this a little bit last week. There's that 15-second rule because our attention spans are being fucked by the media we use all the time. People forget, you know, yeah. what happened previously. Or maybe it's just so much terrible shit has happened, people want to forget, and I can't say I blame them. You know? I don't know. I don't know, I don't know. But I just said we are going to talk about journalism and ethics, and here we are. <laughs> when the news reads you back, Why journalists need to stand up for reader privacy. According to new research, how did the University of Pennsylvania, visiting news websites exposes you to more than twice as much traffic software tracking software as the rest of the web. I mean, that's true. Uh, everything I go and read, I have ad blocker, I have all kinds of stuff. I have ghostery, I have all kinds of things enabled on my system so that I can't be tracked. And ghostry pops you up a list. And it used to be there'd be 20 or 30 trackers. Now, the list of trackers stretches down one complete side of my page. And it's pretty disconcerting. Anyway, researchers Tim Lynn Burton and Victor Packard used open source software to analyze Alexa's top 100,000 websites, 2,000 of which were news-related. A visitor to the New York Times homepage is potentially connected to a whopping 44 third-party servers, the researchers report. All visitors to the Los Angeles Times website get their browsing history leaked to 32 external servers. Based on my own analysis of news websites, those numbers actually seem low. I've regularly seen between 60 and 80 trackers on news websites over a year ago, I wrote about the need for the news industry to have a real debate about reader privacy. Over the past year, we've actually seen some movement on this front. And this month, Market Research Group Fosters Research predicted that 2016 could be a tipping year for online privacy, with more people than ever demanding greater protections from the apps and services they use. The Ethics of Reader Privacy This isn't just a business issue. It is an ethical issue about how we relate to the communities we serve. And for readers, it's uh, much more than just an issue of agreeing to view ads, knowing that ads allow them to view free content. Libert and Packard agree, writing that publishers have to consider the ethics of tracking users and their outsized role in widely reviled annoyances, such as increasing paid load times, invading privacy, sucking up data on limited plans, and imposing distracting animations and sounds on the viewer. Recent events remind us that addressing reader privacy isn't just about the data collection, but also about other kinds of risks that trackers expose users to. Just last week, The Economist notified their readers that a prominent ad blocker called PageFair had exposed them to malware. The Economist was one of about 500 publishers affected by the breach. In February, hackers used ads on Forbes' website to distribute malware. In a July post at the Columbia Journalism Review, the executive director of the Committee to Protect Journalists, Joel Simon, argued that news organizations don't worry enough about keeping the identity of their readers secret. He continues, In an era when electronic spycraft is rampant, People who go to a website looking for news can unwittingly endanger themselves just by clicking on a story or video. Governments that know who is accessing specific information can intrude in a variety of ways, by blocking or censoring the story or by targeting individuals who access prohibited information for harassment or even legal action. Simon's piece harkens back to debates in the last decade over the Patriot Act's library provision, which was fought fiercely by librarians across the country. Librarians long fought for the privacy of their users. The American Library Association even has a formal statement on, quote, freedom to read. It is time for journalists to follow their lead. Transparency and informed consent. If you want to know what kind of data news websites are collecting about your browsing, you have to install special software similar to what the University of Pennsylvania researchers used For a long time, there has been little or no transparency about these systems or why newsrooms have adopted them. However, that might be beginning to change. This week, The Intercept published a blog post about the new analytics software they'll be incorporating into their website in the coming weeks. Quote, we thought it was important to describe the system and its privacy implications and safeguards to you in a transparent fashion. Wrote Ryan Tate and Betsy Reed, the site's deputy editor, and editor-in-chief, respectively. The statement is so unique and so refreshing, it's worth quoting at length. The biggest challenge we faced in adopting a new audience measurement system was preserving reader privacy. Modern analytics tools virtually always come from outside vendors who become intimate third parties in the relationship between publishers and readers. It was important to us to try to rebalance this relationship in favor of the reader. Since launching a little over a year and a half ago, The Intercept has always coupled its drive to expose information closely held by the powerful with efforts to protect data that rightly, rightfully belongs to our readers. That is why we serve all our content over well-encrypted HTTPS web connections, and why in April we became the only third internet cert- only the third internet service behind Facebook and blockchain info to allow people to contact us over HTTPS encrypted connections to the anonymity network Tor. To address these concerns, the Intercept worked with analytics firm parse.ly to customize a solution that strips away identifying information like readers IP address does not store geolocation data of visitors to the site and avoids cookies that could track readers across other news sites. They also use, um, they also use that also use parsley analytics together. The intercept and parsley are illustrating just how publishers can stand up for their users. Needless to say, I actually recommend the message news source, Uh, the intercept was uh, at the end of last year three staff at the New York Times called on journalists to embrace HTTPS if you're on a new site or any site at all we'd like to issue a friendly challenge to you wrote Eaton, Coinberg Rajiv Pant and Elena Koshiko these poor people must hate me I really butchered the shit out of their names Make a commitment to have your site fully on HTTPS by the end of 2015. In June of this year, Washington Post reported that it would begin encrypting parts of its site with HTTPS, making it more difficult for hackers, government agencies, and others to track the reading habits of people who visit the site. The Marshall Project, ProPublica, and Tector also encrypt their sites. However, a few other news organizations seem to have made the move, despite that HTTPS is standard for most large tech companies like Google and Facebook, It is unclear if the New York Times, with its six weeks left in 2015, will keep their pledge either. Who controls the data about our readers? The Intercept made a point of noting that they would respect any reader's use of Do Not Track, a software built into web browsers that is supposed to help protect user privacy. When I last wrote about Do Not Track, I was pretty pessimistic about the media company's willingness to honor the protocol. However, in addition to the Intercept announcement this week, AJ has partnered with Do Not Track to create a personalized documentary series about privacy in the web economy. That's actually really good. It's called Do Not Track. The project asked people to share their data with AJ so they could weave it into a seven-part series meant to educate people about how, where, and why they are tracked online. I should grab the link for that and I will in a minute. Last year, Medium worked with the Electronic Frontier Foundation to align their privacy policy with EFF's best practices. This fall, the EFF unveiled a code of conduct for publishers based in part on their experiments with Medium. They have one analytics firm on board and are recruiting other publishers and vendors. I know this is an issue a lot of individual journalists care about. Last week, I got to hear journalist Quinn Norton talk about how conflicted she felt having built her career reporting on surveillance and security while publishing on platforms that were violating her readers' privacy and trust at every turn. She described the business model of most major news organizations as invasive surveillance without informed consent. At a bare minimum, she said news websites should be seeking meaningful consent from our users for the data we are collecting. News organizations aren't so much collecting data as being vehicles for data collection. And so in doing, they have largely abdicated control over and responsibility for how that data is used. <clears throat> and in many ways, that is worse because news organizations have acknowledged how valuable data about their readers is, but then gave most of that value away. In doing so, they've largely abdicated control over and responsibility for how that data is used. Um, Jeff Jeff Jarvis, director of CUNY Tow Knight Center for Ent- Entrepreneurial Journalism, argues that newsrooms have to seek another path. Right now, Jarvis says news organizations creep out of their own creep out their own customers by collecting data on them without being open about it. Without revealing the reasons and the benefits, free content, less noise, without giving them any control over the data. Instead of giving data and the value it represents a way to advertisers, news organizations to be using data to learn how to better serve their readers. If news organizations were collecting data themselves, they could use it to build stronger relationships with readers and build trust by giving readers more control over how that data is used. The debate over ad blockers has brought reader privacy and control back to the fore and highlighted the risks of not addressing this issue more openly with readers. In the absence of transparency and engagement from publishers, people are turning to ad blockers to regain some amount of control. I understand the frustration and anger media companies feel over ad blockers, but the answer is not to attack the people who use them. Instead of attacking the technology, journalists and publishers should engage the people and address the deeper issues at play.
0: Well, quite. Sure yeah, the, the, the anger at ad blockers I find especially funny. Well, I um, mean,
1: it's ridiculous. Go ahead.
0: I, I have a blocker for anti-ad blockers. <laughs> 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 um, that's how ludicrous it's got. Um, it's the fact that it all these organisations are lazy and don't know what they're doing. They could completely and easily as has been said, track all this information if they wanted Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but they don't want to have software themselves so they get these third party companies in and as soon as you have a link to a server off your server, that's a security problem.
1: Yes, it is.
0: Um, And I have said before that the only time I ever see advertising is when I deliberately want to see advertising. Mm Mm-hmm. Usually watching television programs. That's about the only time I see adverts. On my computer? Yeah, my computer blocks everything. Um, I've gone yeah, into I've the the root files of my system and blocked... You know, added protocols to block lots of the ad servers.
1: I don't really, I don't see ads anymore. There's yeah. a reason for that. And it's not that they're annoying. They do. They slow down my load time. Um... I'll say just...
0: in, I'm on Windows, and in Windows it's quite easy to add specific servers to a block list. Mm-hmm. So any access to that block list just won't happen on your machine.
1: You know, yeah, them being mad at ad blockers, it makes sense. Because people aren't paying for content anymore, but do you know what I would pay for? Do you know what I would pay a premium for?
0: Uh, decent journalism.
1: One, decent journalism, and two, the ability to be anonymous in what I do on the web.
0: Well, what gets it, it, me, it, the the whole God. advert thing. Like I said, if they coded their website properly, mm-hmm. they could have adverts on it that you couldn't block. <laughs> but they don't do that. No, the, oh, we'll use this app that just puts adverts in for us. It's like, no, no, you have to be not be a lazy bastard. You have to... <laughs> You have to have well, somebody have, writing, you know, putting right. them on the webpage yourself and changing them regularly, but right. that's too much effort for them. Well... It would cost them money.
1: Well, it would cost them money. I mean, uh, and look at they They could charge more
0: for the adverts.
1: They could. They definitely could. Um, like I said, there are things I would pay a premium for. Decent journalism is one of them. Um, yeah. And it's funny... I find decent journalism in satirical content all the time. Yeah. The Onion is supposed to be one of the funniest publications out there, and yet, in a lot of ways, it's one of the truest. Well, <laughs> the Onion serves the fuck the, out of me.
0: The Onion, Daily Mash and Private Eye are just wonderful yeah. reads.
1: No, they're great. They're great, and they, they actually touch on issues that are actually happening in a funny way. But, um... That, that's the one thing I would really like to master. I would love to talk about these really horrible invasions of privacy in a funny way. I just haven't mastered the ability to do that yet because I don't find anything humorous about them. Um, there's no easy answer, but I, I do really like the journalism from The Intercept. I love The Intercept. Uh, I've liked them since they came out. I really like the fact that they actually have long and short form documentaries that they make Yeah. all the time. That's really interesting, too. So if you're not a big reader, there's another way for you to get information. Um, I just really like The Intercept. And even though I don't agree with the personal politics of about 99% of people who write for The Intercept, I don't agree with the personal politics of like 99.9% of people on the planet Um, but that's just me and I'm adult enough to rise above that and I would like to find out the truth and I think The Intercept does a good job of that and it sounds like they're trying to do a good job of attempting to protect your privacy and if that's something that matters to you and something to look at also I would support the Electronic Frontier Foundation, they're still doing really great stuff Dude, that didn't sound too terrible at all, did it? No. <laughs> uh, we talked about the economists, so we can skip that one. So this one was really funny. Um, does anybody know who Representative Joe Barton from Texas is? By the gigantic showing of hands... <laughs> I'm going to say no, but hopefully by the time I'm done, you will know who he is.
0: Yeah, look, look I don't know any of your politicians.
1: <laughs> no, it's it's okay. This guy is, um... You do? You know the guy who thinks Guam's going to capsize? Well,
0: but I, yeah, I knew, I knew about that, but I've forgotten his name and who he is.
1: Johnston, unfortunately. Yeah. We share a last name and it just makes me sad. It is
0: the one handy thing about having a dodgy memory. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember I can remember the funny part of it without r- remember the details.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but even without a dodgy memory, I think more people um remember things like that. That's okay. There is so much stuff to try and absorb and take in and there's so many there's so much external stimuli that I can't really expect anybody to remember this stuff. So, anyway, um I was asking about Joe Barton, so I figure I'll tell you about this man. He wants to stop ISIS. Fantastic! What are they? What are we calling them now? Daesh.
0: Apparently, they don't like to be referred to as Daesh, so that's what lots of people are now calling them.
1: Okay, so um, he wants to stop Daesh, but he wants to do it in a really fucking stupid way. U.S. Representative Joe Barton Republican of Texas Has a plan to stop terrorists And uh, his plan is really stupid Uh, Shut down websites Including social media networks Barton today Asked the Federal Communications Commission Chairman Tom Wheeler If the commission can shut down websites Used by Daesh And other terrorist groups Barton didn't name any specific sites, but said that we need to do something because of the terror attack in Paris. Daesh and the terrorist networks can't beat us militarily, but they're really. We're not putting up much of a fight. That's just my personal opinion, and I will continue on. Um, Can't beat us militarily, but they're really trying to use the internet and all of the social media to intimidate and beat us psychologically, Barton said. Addressing Wheeler during an FCC oversight hearing held by the Subcommittee on Communications and Technology, Barton continued, Isn't there something we can do under the existing law to shut those Internet sites down? And I know they pop up like weeds, but once they do pop up, shut them down and turn those Internet addresses over to the appropriate law enforcement agencies to try and track them down. I would think that even in an open society where there is still a clear threat They've declared war against us, our way of life. They threaten to attack this very city our capital is in. My God, shoot me. That we could do something about the Internet and social media side of the equation. Wheeler answered, I'm not sure that our authority extends to picking and choosing among websites, but I do think there are specific things we can do, with Barton interrupting to ask do we need, on a bipartisan basis, to give additional authority to shut those sites down? Wheeler noted that Congress could update its definition of a lawful intercept under the Communications Assistant for Law Enforcement Act, in which an ISP intercepts a Internet uh, suspect's internet traffic and sends a copy to a law enforcement agency performing surveillance. Barton asked Wheeler if the commission will work with lawmakers if Congress decides to update laws, to which Wheeler answered a capital, yes, sir. The Washington Post also reported on the exchange between Barton and Wheeler today. Um, There was video, which was really terrible. I'm not going to link to that because it was horrible. Uh, The FCC's net neutrality rules prevent Internet service providers from blocking transmission of lawful content but without overriding ISP's obligations to meet the needs of emergency communications and law enforcement, public safety, and national security authorities. The hearing moved on to other topics before officials got into any specifics, such as which websites should be shut down, or what impact a shutdown would have on non-terrorist users of the Internet and social media sites. Barton is certain that something on the Internet just needs to be shut down. It's a clear and present danger, Barton said. They've declared war against us, and they're using the Internet in an extremely offensive, inappropriate way against us, and we ought to be able to make it, at a minimum, much more difficult and hopefully, absolutely shut it down. One other member of Congress agreed with Barton. Representative Michael Doyle, Democrat of Pennsylvania, said, I wholeheartedly agree with what you've said, too, and hopefully we can work on that. During the internet shutdown talk, Wheeler temporarily shifted the topic of conversation to network security, noting there have been 17 mysterious fiber cuts in the San Francisco Bay Area in the past few months and fiber cuts elsewhere in the U.S. The experience has called out the importance of network security, Wheeler said. The FCC's network outage reporting system is relying on ancient technology and barely holding together with bailing wire and glue, Wheeler said. We need to have some kind of a big data capability of determining what's happening to our network out there. Because it's not just people getting on the network, it's people doing things to the network, he said. We've been asking for appropriations to upgrade that. It's like he doesn't understand that Daesh uses Twitter uses facebook uses Tumblr, uses instagram no uses... no the,
0: the the basic the basic thing he doesn't understand is technology
1: well i mean that's
0: he doesn't know all... how it works so he's making suggestions from that perspective yeah. um he is right though on they are right on one thing yeah. um not not so much the uk is fairly good for reporting outages and the like but yeah, I know in the US, the FCC, which has been underfunded for decades, mm. can't keep up with all the all the infrastructure, mm. and do need more funding so they can actually keep an eye on what all the infrastructure is doing. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that's going to involve giving them more money, which politicians aren't going to do unless there's a really good reason for them to, yeah. you know, brain envelopes. <laughs> Some other excuse, um, yes.
1: Because
0: <laughs> that's what they do. It's a the FCC is one of the more valid um, regulatory authorities, mm-hmm. but they don't fund it, so yeah. <laughs> so it no. doesn't do what it's supposed to.
1: They don't. Um, yeah, I don't. So I found. I think this one might be too much. The, the one that's actually about quantum cookies.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I, don't get me wrong, I, I think quantum cookies are interesting as shit. I don't think anybody here wants to hear about that.
0: Probably not. Yeah. Well, y- you know it's going to be difficult when it has the word quantum in it.
1: Well, yeah. I mean... Well, they don't call them that. They're super cookies. But yeah. uh, super cookies, quantum cookies, they all pretty much do the same thing. They're yeah. not something you can easily get rid of or delete, and they track you wherever you go.
0: Yes. And, and, and yeah, it's probably something like that that was in, infecting that pro-scientist's bios uh, oh, yeah. in the story last that, week. I
1: was thinking, oh, yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> that is, that's pretty clearly some screwed up stuff there. Yeah. Not something you don't want to get infected by bad BIOS. I mean, hopefully it's just kinda of stuck in his laboratory there. That would be good.
0: Well, yeah, most, most of these data experts have their laboratory um inside Faraday cages so that stuff can't get out. Um yeah. so which, yeah, you got hope. Just yeah. don't take any of the just as long as you remember not to take any of the infected USB sticks home. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, which is just amazing that um, that <laughs> is how things...
0: Well, sort. I mean, there's, there's a crap load of infected USB equipment out there anyway, because, mm. yeah, a few years ago they discovered one of the USB drivers had had a hacker in it sticking malevolent software into the USB <laughs> codex. So, yeah, it's not new. It's been going on all all. All modern digital technology has these problems from uh, every so often. Uh, it's like, yeah, because the, the instruction set inside the chips is so much bigger than it used to be. yeah, And they tend to build them now with extra space, just in <laughs> case they need to change them later. Which, of course, means hackers find it easier to put extra stuff in.
1: You know, I've got to tell you... I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm worried about hackers. I'm more worried about the shit that our government hires hackers to do. Yeah. Well, Your I just government hires hackers in yeah. general. It, yeah. it doesn't
0: matter who they're employed by, in my eyes. Um,
1: well, I guess. I mean, but there are some people who do stuff on their own, you know, like Anonymous, who apparently keep pissing off our governments. <laughs> we We can't watch them. You can't watch them doing nothing. Yeah, the, I, I mean,
0: all those analysts probably have to watch daytime TV now instead.
1: That's just as bad, isn't it? Probably. I, yeah, I would assume well, that... let's face
0: it, most, most of these low-paid analysts will be skiving off a lot, because that's what office workers do. <laughs> so the fact that I- terrorist plots get missed does not surprise me at all.
1: No, it's not really a surprise Um, So I I saw something I really wish I hadn't seen the other day Um, I like brain junk food Especially after I read stuff about things like quantum cookies So um, I'll go watch 40 minutes of the 9 hour long Nyan cat video (laughs) That's, That's junk food for the brain I require no thinking after that and I couldn't think even if I wanted to. It's just the dumbest shit I've ever seen. I can sit there and just let my IQ points just drop. And I'm, I'm really kind of letting my brain relax when I do that. So um, I didn't know this, but people, YouTube, I guess famous YouTube people, not really famous, but whatever. There are people that go to the dollar store. And then they come home, and they show everybody what they bought at the dollar store. They make videos out of it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they have millions of views. And that's that was pretty bad.
0: Look, I mean there there have been um, there have been in the past. It's pro- they're probably still there somewhere. <laughs> people have put on YouTube f- lot uh, footage of paint drawing and people. Watched it and liked it and shared it. Oh, it, I mean, you know, okay.
1: the, the paint drying thing. Did you see where that filmmaker he's so pissed off with your, your, um, the people who rate your films over there and the people who rate our films over here? Yeah, that he wants to do a start to finish paint drying video because they're required to watch all of it before they give a the film a rating, mm-hmm. and he doesn't care if it's like a 19 hour cut. He just that's what he wants to submit as a film, and I guess it costs quite a lot of money. And people are pretty impressed by that, and they're donating a lot of money to this guy, so it's yeah. kind of interesting.
0: The, don't the, the interesting film one for me is the John Malkovich, um, uh, the Robert one no one's film. ever gonna see, the, well, body- the one nobody living currently is ever gonna see, in all yeah. likelihood. Unless medicine gets drastically better, um, <laughs> well, hey, yeah. The hundred-year like video.
1: Drama, yeah. We could all have our heads frozen. Yeah,
0: it's <laughs> not a lot of effort to go to just to watch a film about brandy, though.
1: I just, you know what I mean. I, I like John Malkovich. I think he's a really interesting actor. I don't know that two hundred years from now he's going to come across as all that interesting.
0: It's only a hundred years. It's a hundred-year video.
1: Whatever, hundred years, two hundred years. I mean. I don't know. I just don't think John Malkovich is going to translate well for the ages.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Although it's, it's a good advertising gimmick for the brandy. So, oh, yeah.
1: of course it is. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I find the stuff that is popular on YouTube just kind of surprising. Um, Like I said, this one woman did a video... Where she showed her sticker collection That was Ours I mean I didn't watch all of it But I was, I was very surprised And people just loved it
0: Look we, we have currently The shadow uh, leader mm-hmm. So the, the Jeremy Corbin Was actually on television Talking about His fascination with drain covers And that, that was on live television what? He likes drain covers, apparently.
1: Okay. You know, everybody's <laughs> you know, takes got Takes photos hobby.
0: of them, knows the history of them.
1: Everybody's got a hobby. I guess mine's vaping. Uh, his is drain covers. Um, so, tell me, is Theresa May going to really snoop on everybody's internet privacy that much harder now that Paris happened.
0: Not personally, but I'm sure she wants the security services to be able to. Yeah. Except her own, obviously. (laughs) Because they have put the exemptions in for politicians.
1: Yeah, which is just lovely, which explains why so many of them never got caught with the pedophile stuff. Which is just kind of sad. Because the
0: usual. Most of the ones that got caught have been dead for quite a while.
1: <laughs> we need to throw Hold a sacrificial that, yeah. somebody on the Barbie. We need a straw man here. Pick on the dead guys. Yeah, that's kind uh, of the way. Theresa,
0: me, I'm probably just going to start referring to as with without personality.
1: I don't even. Know. She looks. I was thinking she looked like a, a James Bond villain. I don't think no, so. No, no, no. I mean, I've, she, I've she decided. actually looks like something out of a Hammer horror film.
0: Yeah. Well, if people are aware of the old British television series Blake Seven. The 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 evil in that was a, uh, a fascist uh, leader who was female called Servalon, who who's quite entertaining to watch, which is why I say Theresa May is Servalon with no personality.
1: <laughs> she just looks—I don't know. She looks evil. Yeah, uh, and I don't—I don't think that's wrong. You can just she has that weird coldness. Around the eyes that you see with serial killers, yeah, it's bizarre. Most
0: of the Conservative Party look like that.
1: I think, honestly, I'm going to tell you, I think most politicians in general look like that. Nobody sane wants to be a politician, right? Well,
0: no, no. See, over here we we have we had the Labour, new Labour, which were basically yeah, middle of the road politicians. But Tony Blair, he didn't look had have, have the serial killer look. But he, he had a glint in his eye which was the the do not trust be warning rather than the coldness yeah.
1: you know I think I, I'm not a fan of David Icke <laughs> at all I mean I think that man is batshit crazy but when you see the things the politicians are willing to do to the people they're supposed to serve you can understand why he he's chosen to think the people that are supposed to serve and protect his countrymen and himself are another race entirely. I mean, that makes a kind of sense. Who would think a human being could do some of the things these people are doing to other human beings?
0: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, unfortunately, no. It's that's just the way humans are.
1: I know. I'm just saying, but you know, with someone like that, you can understand that.
0: I've said I've said it before. Um, that yeah. He used, to, he used to commentate on snooker, the sport, and I think that's what sent him off the beat end, because he did it for years, just constantly watching snooker, his brain just melted.
1: <laughs> I'm sure drugs were involved there somewhere, although I'm sure it's not widely talked about.
0: Well, he, he probably had to take drugs to stay awake watching the <laughs> matches, to be honest. I mean, I used to watch snooker when I was younger, uh, and yeah, some of the matches last hours.
1: You know what's funny? So, when I was when I was a kid, they used to show bowling every Saturday afternoon.
0: Ten pin, ten pin bowling. I take it. ten pin. Yeah, yeah. and so we've got we've got the other type of bowling as well. Mm. Yep yeah, crown green. But, yeah,
1: but yeah, but we had commentators. Bowling crown green Island bowling commentators. is
0: televised and has commentators. But we we yep. as the population ages, yeah, there's there's lots of people that like bowling.
1: <laughs>
0: Younger people don't get it because they don't do it. <laughs> do it.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. Um, but it's almost seven. I guess we should try and get Alex. I think that's why people are popping back into the chat. It's almost time for the cast update. Okay,
0: see if I can get them all. Okay. And Skype's misbehaving. Nope.
1: No. Skype doesn't do that.
0: It's not letting me add. Huh. Ah, here we go.
1: Okay. Alright. It would be very good if it actually works.
0: But I would rather. Hello, uh, Alex. Hello. hello. Hi.
1: Hi. Um... Good evening, and welcome to the Casa update for the week of 11-23-2015. Hi, Alex. How are you this evening? Cold. But Cold. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, the the it's... temperature dropped like 20 degrees here. It's it's a major shock for us. For you, it must be much worse.
2: Oh, no. It's, it was, I mean, it was a bit of a brutal turnaround, I guess. It was like 50-something yesterday, and mm-hmm. now it's in the 40s. But, oh. you know... <laughs>
1: You, you live in the north. It's kind of how it is. At least it's not snowing, is it?
2: No. Well, that's good. Something. Yeah, that, that all blew north of here, so we're fine.
1: Well, that's good. At least the roads are... I can't say they're safe. You live in the garden state, but they're not as bad as they could be.
2: Statistically speaking, they're safer than New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, pretty much any of the surrounding states. New Jersey's reputation as being a dangerous place to drive is uh, not actually very accurate. So, <laughs>
1: okay. that's a good thing. <laughs> well, no, I mean, just living up north in general, I lived up north for a really long time. Um, you know, there's always that black ice, and somebody always overestimates their skills.
2: Oh, yeah, that's I, I don't know what's happened to people in general, um, but uh, okay. yeah we're we're not quite in black ice territory we're not as freezing yet, so that's good we're good yeah okay well,
1: stay ah. warm <laughs> it's been a busy week it seems like
2: it seems like it's been a busy couple of weeks actually um yeah. I haven't talked to you actually since uh i, I went to uh the vCC in Tulsa no. last weekend, so I was it? um. Uh, it was a good event. It seemed like it was pretty light in, as far as attendance, but um, that's that's fine. Uh, uh, again, Kevin Skipper does a really good job of putting the spotlight on advocacy groups. And yes. um, so there was a pretty decent crowd, like two or three different kind of speaking uh, segments where uh, advocates were... Uh, given the mic and nice. uh, and also several, um, I'm not going to do the you know name thing here. But uh, <laughs> for those of you who are listening, you know who you are. And um, there were several companies that stepped up and made uh, significant donations. Um, it was sort of a it was almost like a game was going on. Like you know <laughs> uh, the the Phil Busardo DJ night raised a certain amount of money, and then one. Retailer, manufacturer, whatever jumped in and matched the donations, and then another one said, "Well, I'll match that plus that," and uh, it, it kind of uh, grew to a very large number. I believe it was twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars was raised wow. um, and distributed among uh, the various groups. So, um, thank yous were, were definitely said at the event, but thank you once again for everybody that donated. And, uh, especially thank you for all the people that stopped by and said hi to us. Um, it was just me by myself. Um, but, uh, it was, uh, it was, I, it was good because I actually spent most of my time working on calls to action.
1: <laughs> yes. And it looked like there were a lot of them.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know how much you guys covered last week. Um, but, oh, uh, Julie
1: knocked it out in 14 minutes and it was just, it was a nice long rolling list. Local alerts. Yeah. Okay. Which Got
2: a lot actually done. just reminded me with all the stuff that we've been working on this weekend. Um, I still need to get, I have Boston pretty much done. Okay. Um, so I guess I might as well get to it before we get to the 30 minute mark and I'm still yammering about a vape event. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I'll get the big stuff out of the way first um for those who are just hearing about this now or tomorrow or on the replay um we have put out another national call to action and to kind of go ahead and it doesn't seem to be too much confusion about this but i understand how it could be confusing um because it is confusing so if you are confused don't be worried it's confusing (laughs) Um, Everything about this is a little bit um, hard to really understand. And that's why we are here to hopefully offer everybody a useful digest to wrap their head around this stuff. So um, I I imagined that I actually wanted to start off reading the meat of this provision that we're asking people to support. So I'm going to do that now just to totally screw up people's heads. (laughs) <laughs> um, what, what this is, is a provision in the house agriculture subcommittee, okay. um, the agriculture appropriations committee has put forward this provision as part of the 2016 us budgets, the omnibus budget bill. Okay. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, everything in the kitchen sink is going into this bill and it has to pass. Yep. Um, and so this is one section. I'm looking at a total of 14 lines. It's not much. Right. Um, okay. It's it's a very, it's smaller. There's there's less text in this section than there is in HR 2058. But both of these things essentially achieve the same thing, which is moving the grandfather date. So I'm going to read Excellent. this. I'm going to read this and then we'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. So, uh, this is on uh, page 86, whatever I'm looking at, section okay. 747. For each tobacco product which the Secretary of Health and Human Services by regulation under section 901B of the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act deems to be subject to chapter, I believe that's 9, IX, is that 9?
1: Uh, quite possibly.
2: Roman, Roman numerals. Okay, chapter 9 of such act None of the the funds made available in this act or any other act may be used to treat any reference to Sections 905 and 910 of such act to February 15, 2007, as other than a reference to the effective date of the regulation under which a tobacco product is deemed subject to the requirements of such act pursuant to Section 901B1 of such act, And any reference in such sections to 21 months after the date of enactment of the Family Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act as other than a reference to 21 months after the date of such final deeming regulation. That's all one sentence, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta
1: gotta love that. I mean, try reading that in one breath.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's impossible. So it's not impossible, but I'm not going to do it. Um, so the <laughs> important words that run together in this thing are uh, <laughs> uh, any reference in sections 905 and, of such act to February 15th, 2007, shall should not be treated as anything other than. Reference to twenty-one months after the date of such final deeming regulation. So essentially, in a very clunky way, this provision says references to the previous February fifteenth, two thousand and seven grandfather date actually means the date that that product is deemed under FDA's tobacco authority. Right. Does that make it? Does that does that make it, it does. more it, it understandable? Takes, okay.
1: Right, it it <laughs> essentially takes two thousand and seven and crosses it out and adds twenty four months after date of enactment of deeming twenty one correct twenty one months,
2: 21 21. months. Yeah.
1: yeah so that's basically what it is. It's just taking two thousand and seven out of the equation.
2: Right, so any reference to February fifteenth, two thousand and seven, will actually mean the date of such final deeming regulation. Makes sense. Yes. So I (laughs) I just had to read that because I, I, you know, we debated whether or not we were even going to put a link to this in the call to action because that, you know, once you cut out all the references to the various parts of the food, drug and cosmetics act, you're left with like a few words and that's the actual kind of meat on, on the bones of this thing, right. um, so um, that's that. Short and simple explanation is this moves the grandfather date very much like what the HR twenty 20- 20- fifty eight does, and we've been relatively quiet about this provision because for the most part, this you know this has gone through the appropriations committee. This actually has survived one attack already. Yep. Um, they they tried to get this carved out. And it, it survived that. Um, so this is moving forward, and we're sort of at that point now where we really need to garner some support for this, and and make sure that that make sure not just that it's you know safe from being carved out, but it, that it's that it's actually got some support. Um, and so that's really what this call to action is about. <sighs> <laughs>
1: Feels feels like it takes a thousand words to take and explain what should be easily explained in three or four.
2: Yeah, that's that's been my. I think you witnessed a bit of that this weekend. Um, somebody asked for some clarification on oh HR, HR twenty fifty eight earlier this weekend, and oh, yeah. um, and it, and it, it, I mean it. it really, I it, I have to be you know. It, it really is challenging. You know, we try to offer some youth, like I said earlier, useful analysis on this stuff. And in trying to simplify this stuff, I actually end up kind of using a lot more words. Um, and and I, I hope that that is helpful to people. Um, I, I try to explain it in very simple terms, but the more simply you try to make things often, it seems the more, the more wordy you have to be. And so I hope that doesn't turn out to just being that, you know, like, oh, God, they just sent me a wall of text. I don't understand. I don't (laughs) want to read all of this.
1: Right, but I I think it's, I think that's how you have to counteract government language. You know what I mean? Because that's typical government language and, and trying to cut through it is much harder than it really needs to be. Now, if anybody could under... If anybody could pick up a bill, read it, and understand it, um, we wouldn't have as hard a job. You wouldn't have as hard a job, put it that way. Yeah, if, if everybody
2: if everybody could understand legalese, then I guarantee you a lot more people would be engaged in the lawmaking process. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, there is that in, in making law, there is that attempt to strike a balance with needing to speak succinctly while also accounting for every possible contingency, <laughs> um, which oftentimes yeah. leads to some pretty awful writing. Yeah, um, <laughs> so anyway, I, I hope that explains it for what this recent National Call to Action is all about. And,
1: it clears um, it right up for me.
2: Yeah. Um, the other thing that came out just before the weekend... Right. Was our FDA call to action, and the deadline for this is tomorrow.
1: Okay.
2: Um, again, another one. I don't really think I have to go too far into explaining this because okay. we've already put a lot of the words out there. Um, okay. But this is uh, very important because this deals a lot with, you know, the difference between just a. A recreational product versus something that could be de- deemed a, a, a medical device. Um, both, you know, which those two have completely different regulatory pathways and and yeah. and costs associated with them. Mm-hmm. And of course, one of the important things about this is that this whole thing deals with what what retailers and manufacturers are going to be allowed to say to customers how they're going to be able to market their products. And so one of the things that we as an organization feel very strongly about is that manufacturers should be able to tell the truth about their low-risk product, their low-risk tobacco and vapor products. And um, so this is part of that discussion. And so we're asking people to, you know the talking points that we've laid out here is you know how did you first learn about electronic cigarettes was it an advertisement did you have a conversation with a retailer without throwing them under the bus um (laughs) you know if they happen to mention some of the health benefits um uh you know sort of in that vein there so um if, if you haven't had an opportunity to do this um Tonight, probably, I'm sure that the the cutoff point is at some point tomorrow. But um, right. uh, tonight is is a good good time to get that in. Yeah. Uh, so that is our other big FDA related call to action. Um, I did just see somebody posted up an article about Pennsylvania um, in another group. Mm-hmm. Um, this is still an ongoing thing. I just want to bring it back up so that people who are in Pennsylvania are still um, <clears throat> aware right. that uh, Pennsylvania does not have a budget yet. And enacting a tax on electronic cigarettes is still fair game. So uh, if you live in Pennsylvania and you haven't uh, participated yeah. in our call to action to oppose taxes, uh, please do so now. Um yes. And then um, moving along, I think some of these things did not get under the wire uh, for last week. Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and I, I haven't rebroadcast this yet because it looks like the uh, folks from Brave and Kansas City are, 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 are taking the ball and running with it on this. Um, yeah. So Kansas City voted to enact an indoor use ban as part of their Tobacco 21 regulations Mm -hmm. and uh, so it passed the city council but it moves on to the mayor's desk for approval Mm -hmm. and there's still an opportunity to veto it so uh, I've seen a couple members of Brave uh, running around Facebook uh, gathering Kansas City residents signatures for a petition the petition is part of the process they have to do it in order to get sort of a veto hearing or just to have it brought back. I don't know the details. All I know is that they're on top of it. And so right. if you live in Kansas city, Missouri, um, seek that out and participate. Um, and then, Oh God, what else?
1: <laughs> oh, you've got a long list there.
2: I do. Sure um, <laughs> there's a couple of things that have started. To, there's, there's a new trend. There's a new dance craze in, uh, city councils. <laughs> and like, likely and likely moving up to state legislatures next year um but so at the, at the municipal level we're seeing the tobacco 21 stuff starting to creep in um yes. and this 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 will be the flavor du jour uh next year um is raising the age to to purchase tobacco to 21 and unfortunately they are leaving all of the adults age 18 through 20 um, with no other smoke-free option other than gums, patches, lozenges, or just getting their 21-year-old friends to buy them cartons of cigarettes or e-cigarettes <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, of course, the logic there being that, uh, well, if you, if you take the 18-year-olds who just got out of high school... And, and, and now you you make it so they can't purchase until they're 21. They're probably not going to pass those cigarettes on to their friends in high school or whatever um, kids do. I I don't know um, exactly how to explain that. But you get the logic. It's if you can push back that age to start smoking, then yeah. the younger people will have a harder time getting a hold of cigarettes, which when I was a kid, I just stole them from my dad. So, yeah. you know. I didn't have to show my ID to anybody or ask anybody a special favor to do that. (laughs) Not that I'm giving out tips and tricks here, kids, but you know, um, Well,
1: I I think politicians like to pretend things are simpler than they are.
2: You know, it looks good on paper and you can kind of flap that paper around at news conferences and everybody says, Oh yeah, yeah. We, we, you, you seem to care and that we're going to vote for you next time. Um, And it's, you know, that's, it's basically just theater. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that somebody has a study somewhere that shows that, that raising the smoking age to 21 has helped some communities somewhere. Um, but then again, you know, I, I haven't really fleshed this out, but you know, there, there is a study out there showing that in communities where they have strictly enforced, uh, you know, prohibiting sales to minors, For vapor products, what they've seen is the smoking rates amongst the youth goes back up. Uh, And so to really kind of apply that to the 18 to 20 segment that's being left out in the cold with the Tobacco 21 legislation, you're likely to see that, that age group pick up smoking again. Because cigarettes are everywhere, they're easy to get, and vapor products a little bit harder, and, you know, most, if not all, independent vapor retailers, actually, I should just stick with most, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they realize that this is a hot topic, and that, you know, if, if they if they go easy on selling to minors, then they're making the rest of the industry look bad. And and I think there, there's certainly a, a, I don't know. I I don't want to throw convenience store people under the bus either, because I know, you know, from listening to state legislature testimony in New York, that C store people are very vigilant about not selling to minors. And so you have these lapses in, in training and so on that happen with new hires and, you know, there, there are all kinds of opportunities for people to make mistakes, but by and large, people are generally uh, observant of, you know, not selling laws prohibiting sales to minors. So, right. um, but yeah, whatever. That's a whole other discussion. Uh, the important thing being that Tobacco 21 legislation that sweeps in vaping is pretty much misguided and is not going to achieve the goals that they think it will uh, in oh, fact no. it, it may make things worse and then of course you have mm-hmm. what appears to be a very popular um, proposal raising the smoking age uh, being lumped in with prohibiting things like vaping indoors and flavors um, so Cleveland, Ohio was uh, you know, Cleveland, Ohio and I think another was it, there was two or three I know the, the big one that we put out was Cleveland and yeah. um, So Cleveland had their meeting already. I don't have a follow-up information on that. Um, But what Cleveland is doing and also what Boston is doing, I haven't put out the Boston call to action. I can do that tonight. Um, Is they're restricting the sales of flavored vapor and tobacco products to specialty tobacco shops. So if you walk into a convenience store thinking that you're going to be you might see the wide variety of vapor products, meaning the wide variety of flavors. Uh, that's, that's, that's what they intend to do away with. Um, and I mean, you know, my first experience, my first exposure to vapor products in a gas station was, you know, mint or tobacco. Um, I, 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 haven't actually been back. I haven't been to a gas station to purchase cigarettes, or vapor products in over two years now. So I don't really know what the offerings are, but I have seen at truck stops on the interstate, um, a couple of different companies have this wide array of flavors. Um, You know, a truck stop in one of those municipalities, which I don't imagine that there actually is, um, would have to do away with that display. And for a lot of people, that convenience store experience is the first exposure to these products. And, uh, they, they should have, again, this is sort of an informational thing. You know, people should know that those, that you have more options than just crappy tobacco flavor, you know? Right. Um, and that makes it more attractive to adult smokers who might consider switching to a low risk alternative. Um, so, The concern for us is that, you know, people might look at this and say, well, that's fine because my vapor shop sells everything and they're a specialty store, so we're good. But as advocates, you know, we want everybody to to have access to the wide variety and, you know, ultimately that's better in the long run for for people that, that run these shops because now you're, you know in a way these starter products are are reaching out to a group of people that you're probably having a hard time reaching. Um, and and eventually they may end up becoming your, your customers. So, um, look at me giving business advice, (laughs) totally not supposed to do that. Um, so that's Cleveland and shortly followed by Boston. Um, Oh God, what else was I going to mention without getting too controversial? Um, I probably should mention it, um, just because it's, it's being talked about a lot. Uh, and I really just kind of want to report on it without giving too much opinion on, on what I've read, but, um, a billion lives apparently has, has kind of stepped into a controversy, um, with a statistic that they, uh, used in the teaser trailer that came out before the weekend, um, I, I will say, I, you know, I had the pleasure of sitting next to Aaron at VCC. Aaron, Aaron Bieber or Breibart? Breitbart. Mm-hmm. I I don't know why Bieber. I up. I think it's Bieber. Bieber. That's Bieber. what I hear
1: used. Yeah.
2: Um, and uh, was one of the, you know, one of the people at the event that got to see the teaser trailer before it, it went out on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I can tell you that several people picked up on this statistic that's raising a lot of eyebrows and creating a lot of conversation. Um, And uh, it was the 165,000 children are going to die because of secondhand smoke or something like that. Um, And, you know, I gave him my feedback and so did other people. And the feedback was pretty much the same all all around was yeah you might want to reconsider that and uh, and here's why um and of course you know from our perspective it's you know using the anti statistics to just trying to use their statistics against them sounds like a really good strategy but really ultimately what it does is it sort of validates the lie and a lot of a lot of us are very sensitive to that, and mm-hmm. and have made great efforts to not do that anymore. Right. However, from a uh, generating conversation and publicity and getting people talking about this film perspective, uh, it seems to to some degree have achieved that purpose. Um, so it, it's to me, it's a very interesting i now I've gone down the path of opinion. Um, <laughs> it's it,
1: it's, very, it, it's it, an it, interesting discussion to have. Like how do you get, how do you get tobacco control to back up on claims, which are ultimately baseless? You know? Um, and I thought their use of that statistic was interesting just from that point of view. Um yeah. Is it inaccurate? It's wildly inaccurate. It's wildly inaccurate. I think most people who've done the research will agree with me on that. But, you know, it still begs the question, how do the people involved in tobacco control make these sort of claims and look at themselves every day in the mirror if they honestly believe what it is they're saying? I mean, if it's incredulous to a lot of people who've done the research, it's got to be incredulous even to these people who specialize in statistics and statistical manipulation it, it it borders on an insane claim so um I think it's interesting from that perspective
2: yeah and and i i will you know i will say um, my own personal feeling uh i know i can't really take off the cassava hat and make these statements but um i it 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 deserves i think to be restated just for clarity is that i think that we can advocate for tobacco harm reduction without sacrificing smokers without sacrificing their their freedom of choice without throwing them under the bus
1: i agree Um, i mean but if you make them the bad guy in the whole thing, are they going to want to vape?
2: Yeah, I, I it's it's totally it's it's, it's there, there's a way to do what, you know, we are doing uh, without alienating people and without throwing people under the bus. But I think in order to make some headway with things, I think we need to have some uncomfortable conversations. And um, I, 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 you know, I
1: you know, honestly, what I would, what I would, I, can I just say what I would love to say? What I would sure. love to see? I would love to see a debate between an honest scientist, an honest, ethical scientist who has studied tobacco, tobacco harm reduction, and how to twist statistics. A debate between that person and a smoker and one of the, um, Tobacco control people who specialize in statistics and twisting numbers and a vapor. I would love to see four of those people, those four people sit down and have an honest discussion about these things and how these numbers affect people. Because I I think the only way you're going to come to the truth is to sit down between all four of those people and hash it all out. Without that, you're only left with a one-sided discussion, and that represents the interests of no one.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would like to see more discussion, uh, and and I think it would be great if, if we could all approach this from a position of, of having an open and honest conversation and, and try to remove some of the emotion from it, um, and uh, I, I try, try. I understand that it's useful to a degree. Um. But,, uh, yeah, go, you know, going forward, these are uncomfortable things that we need to talk about. and mm-hmm. um, and 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 it just it has to happen. I mean, if we're gonna call these people on their misinformation, we gotta bring it up from time to time, and it it's it's gonna it's gonna stir the pot. and um, so, oh, yeah. um, I, I, but you know, ultimately, I, I'm very excited for the film uh, and and I, I support. Aaron and, and what he's doing, and mm-hmm. um, and I think Kassah is it generally is, is supportive of the film, and we're 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 all very anxious to see it. So mm-hmm. um, uh, that's kind of where we stand on that, and and I, I think it to some degree that needed to be said. Um, so um, yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I think it. I think the di- the discussion we just had, as roundabout and uncomfortable as it was, can can. Hopefully, it can serve a higher purpose.
2: Yeah. So, with uh, opening up that can of worms, I think uh, I'll probably just leave it there and let you close us out.
1: <laughs> okay. Alrighty. Um, if you <clears throat> thank you for everything you do for us, Alex. Um, I'm glad you had a nice time in Tulsa. Stay warm. Um, if you have not become a member of CASA yet, please consider joining us at CASA.org. Please submit your testimonials to the CASA Testimonials Project, which you can find on the front page of CASA.org. We are CASA Media on Twitter, we are CASA Media on Instagram, we are CASA Media on YouTube. Come and look us up um and come see what we have to say have a great week and thanks for listening
2: everybody enjoy the holiday
1: yes have a happy or, thanksgiving or have a happy day off <laughs> if you're in retail I'm not, I'm,
2: I'm, and you're lucky. I'm not gonna i'm not gonna say what i really want to say but just you know if you get some days off enjoy those
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly all right awesome thank you Thank you, Alex.
2: Thanks. Good night. Good
1: night. That, that is Alex gone. Yeah. That that conversation could have been a lot more uncomfortable because I've really lost my shit about it before.
0: Yeah, I mean, but you've
1: heard, you've heard me lose yes. my shit about this. Yeah, I mean,
0: throwing smokers under the bus is just stupid. It's and ridiculous. Anything who, that alludes to their to tobacco controls, dodgy statistics, just who, doesn't work.
1: Who were we, right? Who who are we now? But who were we? Well, once you get away from that, you know, once you forget who you were and become something else, it's very easy to condemn. And it's very easy to swallow a pack of lies. It's very easy to say things that really hurt people and damage relations and relationships with people that we should be having. We should be able to have honest conversations with groups like Forest, and we should be able to support each other in ways that are mutually beneficial. For instance, when they go to enact smoking bans and, and vaping vans outdoors, you know, we should be able to point to each other's news stories without having hard feelings and arguments. Yeah. In the end, most of the goals are pretty much the same. We do not want our freedom stamped out by our individual governments. That, that is the essence of all of these fights, no matter how you tend to look at them. That is, at the end, the essence, the right to choose. That's it. Okay. I'm I'm going to stop talking about this cuz my migraine's starting to come back. <laughs> I've had a migraine every day I've worked this week. So um, I've been living on like Red Bull and Advil uh, migraine liquid gels which work absolutely wonderful for me. Of course I have to slam a big can of Red Bull and uh, I'm afraid to slam too many of those cuz I don't think my heart can take it. Well,
0: but I've that, noticed that's something. one of the contributors to your migraine is the Red Bull.
1: Um Torried. Probably. No, actually taurine stops the migraine dead in the tracks for me.
0: Yeah, not combined with not when it's uh combined with sugar and caffeine.
1: Hmm. Well, sugar free Red Bull here I come. Um because they do make that. <laughs> but um yeah, it it really works well to it just stops them dead in their tracks. But um uh I also have really bad hormonal migraines and it's been a bad week for that for me. Plus, it's a holiday at work, so it's been fun. And then that was just a fun conversation to have and try to have it in an apolitical way because I don't shy away from things that are controversial. I don't step back and not say things. because. Can I, you know what? Can I? vote for one Go ahead. Of the,
0: <laughs> Can I vote for one of the four in the room being Fergus?
1: I would love to see Fergus Mason hash... You know what? I think we should... Okay, how much money do you think we'd have to pay to set up like a cage match between Fergus and some puffy white tobacco controller? <laughs> Say maybe one who works in maybe California. I mean like how much money would that cost?
2: Because I, mean, yeah, I think we could raise bit.
1: that I think we could raise that pretty easily cuz he's a greedy sort of fellow in my humble opinion.
0: And, and and Fergus would be more than willing, I think. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I I think, I I think I would I would really pay a premium to see a cage match of that. I, I would love to see. You remember that old show? And maybe you don't. Celebrity Death Match. Yes. That would be somebody really needs to make that happen. Somebody really needs to to make that happen with the little claymation figures and and a claymation Fergus and a claymation white puffy tobacco controller in a um, cage. All
0: I know is it'd be a lot longer than a lot of the the recent female cage matches. Uh, Because Fergus wouldn't let them off easy. Uh,
1: I gotta tell you, I was surprised to see how hard Ronda Rousey got kicked in the fucking face. That was was like a 50 mile an hour face kick. Yeah. That, That that shit has to hurt. You've got to see a chiropractor after that.
0: Yeah. Well, if, if you want to see worrying <laughs> kicks, uh, watch the World Thai Boxing Championships. I because the top-flight really... Thai boxers they practice by kicking wooden blocks.
1: <laughs> you know, there's. You know, I just I don't normally like dig this stuff, but. There's something about watching two women just beat the crap out of each other that's kinda is kinda much more appealing than watching a couple of guys like beat the crap out of each other in a ring. I don't know.
0: Well there'll be all the YouTube videos next week of the Black Friday sales. You'll probably see quite a few.
1: <sighs> yeah, but you know there's something about two women fighting over the last, like, Call of Duty four that's just not really it that doesn't really appeal to me. That's not really the same. Although those women will beat the hell out of each other, and that is kind of funny. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, that, it, that's the sort so, of
1: stuff that should show on the People Walmart website.
0: It's so bad over here, where, mm-hmm. you know, we don't go in for public violence that much, that um, uh-huh. Asda, who are a supermarket chain, who are bought out right. by Walmart, who are one of the companies that blo- brought um, Black Friday to the UK. Are God, not I'm having so Black Friday events this week.
1: I'm so sorry you had Black Friday bought to you. Yes, I, I I work every Black Friday, so I. The one time I did go to a Black Friday, I was 14 and it was terrible. I would never do it again. I was like, this is just horrible. Yesterday, we're all, I mean, not my family, but most families were sitting around a nice traditional turkey dinner with their families and talking about the things that they were grateful for that happened to them in the last year. Yeah. And just the things in life that they were grateful for. And the next day, it's like an all-out frontal assault and people just being mean and nasty to each other. It's, it's, it's not something you really need to be a part of. Well,
0: it's, it's now so bad because now it's Black Friday week, Black Friday weekend... And Blue Monday. I don't so even, so they oh, get eight days out of it now. <laughs> Blue
1: Monday! So, yep. like, do they actually use the song to advertise for it? I don't think so. Well, that's a shame. Because but, that's, yeah, that's they, a they
0: now term. have eight days of sales, some of the places. So, yeah. It's ridiculous.
1: There's, there's... I don't know. Um... This year, I've kind of been a big fan of supporting handmade, handcrafted. Uh, everybody's getting something that's handmade. And I know some people think that's the way you cheap out in a gift. <laughs> Let me tell you, no, it is not the way you cheap out in a gift. Um, that's the way you put your time into something.
0: Well, yeah, you I you put mean, your time yeah.
1: into something, it's priceless. Go ahead.
0: I mean... Uh all the mods i use i've made myself yeah. and yeah there's a lot of time goes into it
1: exactly you know and you can't replace that time is one of those things that the value on really should be immeasurable <clears throat> so yeah um i don't even you know what my head hurts so bad i don't even think i want to talk about any of the rest of the stuff although i will read um i will read the one um, Stingray story because I promised I think people actually expect it and don't play the music
0: No, because you've got a headache
1: I've really got a good headache going on here Uh, Lawmakers demand information on federal use of Stingray surveillance Fine, it's only been nine years or so privacy advocates have been screaming about it so, you know, they're moving into the early 20th century, I guess. A bipartisan group is demanding answers from 24 federal agencies regarding stingray surveillance. On Monday, four members of the House Oversight Committee sent letters to 24 federal agencies, including the Departments of State and the Securities and Exchange Commission, I didn't even know SEC had stingrays, demanding answers regarding policies for using the controversial stingray technology. House Oversight Committee Chairman Jason Chavez, Ranking Member Elijah Cummings, Representative Will Hurd, Robin Kelly, members of the committee's IT subcommittee have issued requests for information related to the potential use of stingrays, also known as cell site simulators. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, which I'm a big fan of. If you wanted to give someone a gift this year, giving the EFF a little bit of money, Keeps you a little bit freer. It's just a thought because not everybody wants a gift. So, it's a nice way to do something is to donate money to an organization that does good. The EFF described the tracking tool. The Stingray is a brand name of an IMSI, International Mobile Subscriber Identity Catcher, targeted and sold to law enforcement. The Stingray works by masquerading as a cell phone tower. Which your mobile phone sends signals every 7 to 15 seconds, whether you are on a call or not, and tricks your phone into connecting to it. As a result, the government can figure out who, when, and where you are calling, the precise location of every device within range, and with some devices, even capture the content of your conversations. The House Oversight Committee is asking the agencies to provide policies, guidance, or memoranda on the use of cell site stimulator technology that may have been used in conjunction with law enforcement operations. The committee is also seeking information related to stingrays use at the state and local levels, as well as copies of the contentious non-disclosure agreements law enforcement must sign in order to operate the equipment. The letters give the agencies a two-week deadline to report their findings. Chavez recently introduced the stingray privacy act, which would expand newly established warrant requirements for the department of justice and the department of Homeland security to all federal state and local agencies that use the cell site simulators in September, the DHS joined the department of justice by announcing warrant requirements for the use of stingray equipment, but the rule changes have come under fire for possible loopholes, which may allow the continued use of surveillance equipment without a warrant. Shortly after the changes were announced, The New York Observer reported that the rule change may have been written in a way which will allow continued tracking as well as hinder the defense of individuals who suspect they have been monitored by stingrays without a warrant. Nate Casdo, a staff attorney at the EFF, told the Observer that the use of criminal investigation only specializes one kind of work the DOJ performs while pursuing criminals. For instance, when the federal agents use cell site simulators for national security purposes, they won't be required to obtain a warrant by terms of this policy, Mr. Caduzo wrote on the EFF blog. Senator Patrick Leahy, ranking member of the state's Senate's Judiciary Committee, also expressed concerns over the language used in the rules, specifically the exemptions to getting a warrant. According to the District Sentinel, Leahy stated, I will press the department to justify them. Many agencies are using these tools. And this is what I thought was interesting. Last month, Congress held its first hearing on stingray cell phone surveillance. Officials with the Department of Justice and DHS released new details about the federal government's use of stingray surveillance, including admissions that the equipment does in fact spy on bystanders' telephones, innocent bystanders' telephones who they're not supposed to be tracking. During the hearing, Homeland Security Assistant Secretary Seth M. Stodder revealed a new policy that allows the Secret Service to use cell site simulators without a warrant if they believe there's a non-specific threat to the president or another protected person. Stoddard stated that under the exempt exemptional circumstances, it- Exemptions would be made for the use of the device that would require only approval from an executive level personnel at Secret Service headquarters and the U.S. Attorney for the relevant jurisdiction. Despite the exemptions, Jarta said the Secret Service would not use the devices in routine criminal investigations. Just days after the congressional hearing, The Guardian released the IRS, revealed that the IRS is also making use of the stingray devices. As of November 2015, The ACLU has identified 45 different local police departments, state and federal agencies who are using the tools. Known federal agencies employing the technology include the DHS, the DOJ, the IRS, the Secret Service, the NSA, and the FBI.
0: Well, yes. Yay! In a way, I'm less worried about federal agencies having them It's more worrying that it's, you know, at county level. Mm -hmm. And these things are so persuasive now that I wouldn't be surprised if larger retailers in shopping malls are using the damn thing (laughs) to track customers' (laughs) movements through, you know, the big malls and stuff like that. Because literally anyone can buy them.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've just, I mean...
0: Nightclubs. Nightclubs could be... Using them to track patterns of customers and all sorts of things.
1: You know, but you don't really need that.
0: No, but I bet there's people doing it.
1: Oh, probably, but I'm saying you don't even really need that. You've got your tracking device on you at all times. You walk around with your fucking phone like you're attached to it, like you're a cyborg, and it's on you at all times. And even when it's turned off, it's still sending a signal, a signal that's easily trackable. I mean, I know we have this big debate about privacy, but part of that privacy lies with us. I keep saying the only way to stop surveillance is to make it so fucking expensive they can't do it. There's apps out there you can put on your phone that completely encrypt cat, completely encrypt any phone calls you make on both ends.
0: Oh, um, the, don't forget the ones three. that actually tell you if a Stingray is locked onto your phone. Yeah. You get apps for that too, folks. Exactly.
1: <laughs> it's all there. You've just got to look for it. If we use all of these things, if we encrypt, if we use like TrueCrypt for chatting, um, you might not even want to really use Tor or the Dark Web, but if you make it harder... And more expensive for governments to track you, eventually they'll stop doing it. But in order for that to happen, all these tools that are out there for free have to be used by everyone, not just select people.
0: Well, and also, as Paris proved, uh, real terrorists aren't using encrypted networks anyway. So all the surveillance on the encrypted networks makes no difference at all.
1: No, they didn't even bother. They didn't even bother. They used live chat and chatted away. And, you know, when the NSA was given backdoors into things like Skype and when for 19 years they've had a back door into Internet Explorer, right, if they had used these tools to stop terrorist attacks, don't you think there wouldn't be this debate right now?
0: Well, I've, no, I've say, noticed in the media in the U.S., and okay. obviously it leaks over here, okay. they, they've they started going on about, oh, well, there are these seven plots that we managed to stop due to surveillance. But they've never are shown they f- any proof, and experts say it wasn't
1: oh, God. There was mass a-
0: surveillance that caught these plots. Okay, But in, to the media, to the public, they're saying, oh, yeah, we, we foiled seven plots using...
1: But it's not true. They entrapped seven people. Some of them were college students Mm -hmm. that they entrapped using the classic honeypot technique. And I've got to say to you, when your own government is using prostitution to get somebody who might not be mentally competent to talk about committing a crime so they can arrest them, so they can say, look, we caught a domestic terrorist, you have a problem with your country. And that's what we have. That's two or three of the seven. And actually saw a documentary about that the other day. Yeah. Um, the college student who was entrapped, he was just released from prison. He spent ten years there. And but it's the fact the general public it. just take and them on can- their
0: word. Oh seven plots. Oh right, great. You're like, All I'm no, gonna say is
1: <laughs> all I'm gonna say is this, I think most vapors or most vapors who are Active or newspapers who, like, listen or who actually kind of come through and really read the news with a skeptical eye, they know these things that are being repeated on live TV through things like Fox or, or other news networks, they're not really reliable. Oh. Uh, it's, if you watch the nightly news and then you want to see something really fun... Get on your computer, go to Voice of America, and look at what Voice of America broadcasts during the day. I guarantee you will find that the coverage is damn near identical. Voice of America is the propaganda arm of the U.S. government that we broadcast the news to other countries from. Right? So, like, um, I'm trying to think. um, RT, RT is Russia's arm of, like, Voice of America. Okay, that's their propaganda arm. RT America, still better. Still better than most of the news coverage we get here. Not great, but also biased. um, Mm -hmm. But just biased in a different way. Um, And that should tell you something. If the coverage is virtually identical and all the stories are the same, why are we broadcasting propaganda to the American public.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, personally, the only mainstream providers I pay any attention to, and yet again, they are still biased, but not as much, are the BBC and Reuters. Um, they still have issues, but at least at least, they report stuff from everywhere, mm-hmm. as long as it doesn't conflict with... Uh, their own personal little (laughs) peccadillos, Because they never broadcast, neither of those ever seem to do anything about vaping, unless it's negative.
1: Tell tell Us Sir is very good. Um, If you're looking for some just really interesting broadcasting, Noam Chomsky has his own show over there. Where the Hmm. hell are you going to find Noam Chomsky on, on regular TV? Nowhere. Tell Us Sir has him.
0: Well, and that's because you know, the average member of the public viewpoint. doesn't understand anything Noam Chomsky talks about, so that's why he can't be on a major network. <laughs>
1: they understand it. But what, you know what they need? They need Noam Chomsky needs a genie. Yeah, you, you and Genie actually make it so other people can listen to me sprout off about these things. Without that, the show's unlistenable.
0: Right, that's (laughs) what Noam
1: Chomsky needs. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, that's what he needs because his message is valid and worth listening to. Go ahead. I
0: will say one of your major, uh, brutally honest, media broadcasts is John Oliver.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, I think it's pretty sad when comedians are telling you more truth than broadcast journalists are. Yeah. That that's.
0: But I've, I have noticed a creep affairs. on Facebook that more and more people in the U.S., when they refer to news stories, refer to John Oliver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the news agencies. <laughs> <Yeah>. well, <laughs> Which shows you the state of the news agencies.
1: <laughs> I think it's pretty pathetic over here when, and I don't really watch it, but it, most people who listen know that my parents live with me and they're older, so... Uh, On my day's off when I'm not at work at ridiculous o'clock in the morning. I'll get up after I sleep in. So I get up about 7.30. And that is massive sleeping in for me. And I'll walk out in the kitchen. I'll get my coffee. And my folks will be up. And they'll be watching TV. And they're watching some god-awful daytime programming. And... It kind of cracks me up because they have shows at the beginning of the morning where they're like, and this was on Khloe Kardashian's news feed a Twitter feed, really? How was any of this shit
0: news? Yeah, we we have early morning TV that's kind of like that as well. It's terrible. Um, We also, the UK, since digital broadcasting came in, we now have all the religious channels too. Not as many as you've got. We've got a dozen or so all day religious channels, which is sad. Um
1: I don't think that's necessary. But no. um you know, um if that's that's what it takes for you to sleep at night, I guess. Um not me so much. I can't imagine like Buddhism TV. It Although wouldn't I be bet be that, that exciting.
0: Would be, yeah. I
1: bet it would be very calming.
0: Yeah. Four <laughs> hours of some guy sitting in the lotus position.
1: <laughs> oh, you haven't lived till you've lived through like a, a green terra chant. Those things are like five hours. Very soothing. Really I,
0: I do nice. I do like the throat singing. Yes. It's yeah, it's, it's entertaining.
1: I I really I like Buddhism, what can I say? It it uh it brings me to a calm place and I need that.
0: Well, (laughs) it was quite funny. Um, Back when I first started getting treatment for depression and anxiety, one of the Mm -hmm. things they are on about was, you know, meditating. And it's like, well, yeah, I've done that all my life. They're like, what do you mean? So I described, you know, I keep myself calm. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, oh. You see... (laughs) You see, psychiatrists crossing something off a list, which was probably, <laughs> you know, send for, you know, <laughs> meditation um, training. Because yeah, I, I learned that myself.
1: I, yeah, you kind of have to. I, I'm, um,
0: I, I'm. I worked. Pretty... I worked in catering. Shit! If you don't know how to do that, you're going to go insane. Um. You're the same. You work in public service. You yeah. know exactly what I mean.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, there, the questions there are you are
0: asked and the lies you are told by the people you're supposed to be serving. Yeah. Oh yeah,
1: it's very, it's very annoying, and I, I don't know how it is for you, but working in a grocery store has been about the worst experience of my life, and I've done it for fifteen years, I've never been treated so poorly by the general public. Oh yeah, you're treated like dirt. Yeah, you you really are. I mean, and I had a brother who used to collect garbage.
0: Yeah, I've them. done that too, yeah.
1: Okay, and those people are treated a hell of a lot better than the poor people that are... You're going through their register to get out at the end of the day. Yeah. You have no idea the drudgery these people are involved in.
0: But yeah, I mean, and, my, my main one was the 11-year working in restaurants, and yet yeah, that's just horrendous. I think everyone should have to do it for at least a year. And, and everybody it, would probably be much nicer to each other.
1: I made it as a waitress for three days. Yeah. And then someone grabbed me. That's um, what
0: people don't understand if they've never done it. Right, in the restaurant, you're in this unique position where you have the public being obnoxious to you at one end and the chef being obnoxious to you at the other end. So, it's non-stop. you know.
1: No, it's it's not fun. Like I said, I made it three days and someone grabbed me. That's a mistake. You know, I think a pot of hot coffee in the lap it probably has to hurt, especially when you stand there and pour it over someone's crotch like I did. I, um, I
0: cannot confirm or deny r- that I may have tripped people up deliberately in restaurants. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've never spilt hot stuff on people because, well, you know, oh, it wasn't that could spilled. get you in trouble. But the accidentally getting somebody to fall over, that's, you know, mm-hmm. oh, they yeah. can't prove that. So
1: I don't care if they could prove that. You know, when I go to my boss and, and say, you know, this person's grabbing me and they're like, well, just deal with it. No.
0: Well, 've no, no, I've, no. I've said to you before, <laughs> no. I knew it was time not to be doing a public facing job anymore when I was actually seriously going to throw somebody through a window <laughs> uh
1: i've I've never been you know I'm not even that mad with the customers. I figure they're just they're in two groups where I am. They're old and spoiled. Or they're young and stupid. Um, and, you know, the way to talk to both of them is exactly the same. And the way to deal with both of them is exactly the same. Kill them with kindness. But what I can't stand is the incompetence shown by people who are in positions of quote-unquote leadership. Oh, yeah. When you, have, when you you have a holiday rush... And you have a boss who's standing in the back room on his cell phone texting and you're running out float after float of stuff and you're you're in a position where the doctor's note says you can't do this stuff, but you've still got to wait on the customers, it it really is it's pretty bad. And yeah, well, I, I luckily
0: mean, I, I work for a company where the company supported its stuff. In and uh, even in the way that as you say, managers who are lazy, not doing their job, not supporting their staff, were rooted out and got rid of. So, yeah.
1: I don't really do that, and i I don't know why. I, that makes no sense to me, and especially since the company I work for is it's known for making a lot of money.
0: Yeah, it well, makes
1: billions. The best right? example
0: I can give you: we had a trainee manager arrive at our hotel. Yeah. Right. At the time, our hotel didn't have a permanent general manager, Mm -hmm. so we're borrowing to cover the week, you know, it was like managers from other hotels close by were coming in and covering days. So, (laughs) this this woman arrived, and first day, I asked her to do something, she didn't know what I was on about, but she was a man, she was a... She'd done a degree in hospitality management, so she thought she knew everything. But I asked her to do something, and she didn't know what I was talking about. And so I told her and got her to do it. And fun and stupidly, because she wasn't the brightest, that evening the guy who was covering management arrived for the next day, and she, she was having a little complaint to him about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he was like, uh, oh, "Where have you worked before?" And she was like, oh, "I've just finished my course in hospitality management." And he was like, "Well, good to meet you. Welcome to hospitality. You know, fuck all. Welcome to your training." And that's what he actually said to her. Well, it's and true. he he did use "fuck all" as the term. <laughs> You know, fuck all. Welcome to the business. You know. Yeah. God,
1: I don't... I, don't uh, yeah, I just don't deal well, I guess, with incompetence at higher levels. I think it tends to trickle down. And I've, I've called
0: an area manager an idiot. Good for you. I didn't get fired or anything.
1: Well then he must have been a right fucking moron.
0: Well, he realized later he was being an idiot and apologized. So it was quite good. good.
1: So that was the success story then?
0: Oh no, uh, he's the guy who promoted to be to be restaurant manager. He, mm-hmm. he valued my opinion. So, yeah.
2: Nice.
1: I don't know. But, uh, okay, so... I'll try to end this tonight I think on something that I'm grateful for and I'm grateful for once a week every Monday I get to come on here and do this I'm grateful for you and I'm grateful for Jeannie because you make the show a lot more listenable I'm grateful for the people who listen and I really really hope That uh, by the new year, it's uh, it's just a better time for everybody. I think that's probably a good way to end it. Unless you want to play the Muppet song. Uh,
0: oh God! I keep forgetting to load the (laughs) Muppet song. It's in here somewhere. Yeah. Ah, here we go.
1: Yeah, I I think we actually need to get that in HQ.
0: Yeah, I'll work (laughs) on it. I forgot this week.
1: It's okay. I had a migraine this week. We couldn't do the Stingray song, so... (laughs) 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 All right, you guys. Good night. Have a good day off with your family if you get one. If you don't, I'm sorry. But try to have a good day off with your family at some point during the week. And we'll see you next Monday.
2: Good night.